Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. But we've been in a series in the book of Acts, and uh, we've covered a lot of territory in it. We've talked about God pouring out his spirit. We've seen the birth of the church and the emphasis in the early church of people being filled with God's spirit, that it wasn't just uh, an experience, a one-time thing, but God wanted people filled with his Holy Spirit and then to live a life in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So we, we want to learn things from the early church because re- revival really is getting back to God's original pattern and what we see in the early church. So to align ourselves up with that, that there was a strong emphasis is put on people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't some secret doctrine hidden away that technically we are Pentecostal. It it was front and center to what they did. They they were Pentecostal people filled with the Holy Spirit. We've also seen that the early church took the Great Commission seriously, that they they were bold in obeying Jesus' instruction to go tell people the good news that that Jesus laid down his life so they could be forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven instead of going to hell. That it was good news that he sent them out and everywhere the the believers went, they're telling more and more people the good news. And a lot of us made commitments. Hey, this week, it can be an ongoing commitment we make. Every week, I wanna tell someone the good news about Jesus, that we would be harvesters for the kingdom of God. If you were here last week, we talked about the power of having a praying church. We were in Acts chapter 12, and we looked at the story of when the apostle James was taken as a prisoner and he was executed. That says he was killed with a sword. They cut his head off. And that story is told right before they go into the story of how the apostle Peter was also taken prisoner. But what was different about that situation, it says, but, but when Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him and the outcome was entirely different. Instead of his head being chopped off and his ministry coming to an end, God sent an angel to break the chains off of his wrist to cause the people that had been assigned to hold him bound to lose their ability to enforce their assignment. That he walked out free, the gate swung open of its own accord and he, he was set free and able to do what God had called him to do. And all of that happened based on the fact that there were people of God that devoted themselves to be earnest in their prayer. We talked about the difference between Peter's situation and James' situation. We said too often the church has a James is in prison mindset instead of a Peter is in prison mindset. We talked about Psalms chapter 50, verse 15 that says, in the day of trouble, Call on me and I will deliver you and you can glorify, glorify the Lord. How do we determine the day of trouble? That's the question because it sets off a sequence. In the day of trouble, call on the Lord and he will deliver you and God receives glory. So how do we know the day to initiate that sequence? When I was in college, I had a professor that one of the courses I took with him you know, the, the semester is going along and there were no quizzes, there were no tests. So we were getting curious, you know, when, when is the test going to be? When are we going to have an exam? And every time we asked him that, his response was always this, the test will be the second Tuesday of next week. So the first time he said, I thought, what, the second Tuesday of next week? What in the world is that supposed to mean? And then, then I realized that that was, just, that was just this thing that he said. We never did have a test in that, in that course. He just said that, there, how do I know when the second t- Tuesday of, it was confusing. 
How do we know when the day of trouble is? For some people, they can spend their whole lives waiting for the day of trouble, but the day of trouble is when you determine that things around you are not lining up with the kingdom of God the way that they should. Jesus said we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you and I get to determine today's a day of trouble. Whenever we're no longer willing to tolerate things in our lives being out of alignment with God's will, as long as we're willing to tolerate, just to kind of shrug it off, the community we live in, things going on in our family, things going on in our own bodies. You and I have the ability to either tolerate and accept it or to determine this is a day of trouble. I'm going to begin to cry out to God based on these things being out of order. I'll cry out to him. He's going to deliver me, set things right, and then I can glorify. God gets a testimony. He gets praise. We have have something to offer him when we've allowed him to bring things in our lives into order. We talked about the ability that we have as a believer's to go into his throne room with boldness, the ability to go to God in prayer, the fact that we've been invited, the prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous woman, the Bible says it has great power and produces wonderful results. But if we don't, if we don't pray, then that great power and wonderful results, it never comes to fruition, that we've got to be people that initiate that sequence. We talked about the sound that we can make, that we can produce a sound. Your voice matters. We looked at that passage of scriptures. Lord, heed my voice. Hear my words. Your words matter. Your voice matters that we can, we can start something in the spiritual realm through prayer, that we can see the manifestations. We talk about how sound causes things to resonate. In fact, we, we did a little illustration with a drum and a cup of water, and even though nothing was touching that water, you could see it begin to move because of a sound that began to go out, and the same thing happens in our prayer lives. We begin to emit a sound through prayer that things start to, to resonate, start to line up with what's coming out of us. There's a power in a praying church, Amen. Well, we're going to look at Acts chapter 13 this morning. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. We won't read the entire thing. In fact, we're just going to focus on a few verses, but I'll give you a quick overview. In Acts chapter 13, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, is released into his apostolic ministry. In Acts chapter 13, there is a shift in the book of Acts where The Jerusalem church and the apostle Peter were kind of the focus up until this point. Something changes, and now the rest of the book of Acts pretty much follows the life of the apostle Paul, and his ministry comes into focus. In Acts chapter 13 is the first first missionary journey that the apostle Paul goes on to. He starts to go from region to region, city to city, planting churches, telling people the good news. And in Acts chapter 13, one of the places that he goes is Antioch of Pisidia. And he goes there and he begins with the Jews telling them the good news. Some of them respond and accept Jesus. He's telling them Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Some of them respond. Some of them reject. When they reject the good news, he goes on to the Gentiles. He starts preaching to the Gentiles. And then some of the Jewish people stir up trouble against Paul to drive him out of town. If you have your Bible open, we'll read the last couple of verses of chapter 13. Starting in verse 50, it says this, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. 
They got expelled. They, first, they went to one group of people. Some of them rejected. They moved on to another group of people, telling them the good news. Some of them accepted, but some of them rejected. And then they get driven out of the entire city. Notice how, notice how they respond, because there's a good lesson in their response for us as we seek to be, be more evangelistic and tell people about Jesus. Notice their response, because they didn't say, well, this doesn't work. They didn't question their own ability. They, they didn't say, you know what, we, we just ought to stop this because people aren't accepting, accepting the good news. It says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They understood that what they were responsible for was telling other people the good news, that you can't force people to accept Jesus, that you've got to trust. I'm sowing a seed and it's up to the Holy Spirit and it's up to the seed that I plant. It's out of my hands. I'm only responsible for being in obedience. And what happens is when we put the pressure of the entire, the entire salvation process on ourselves, we get discouraged. And that's when we say, I, I can't do this. I'm just, I, I can't bear that pressure. I'm just going to bow out of this assignment. You're only responsible for sowing the seed. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them that he laid down his life so they could be free. And what they do with it, that's up to the Holy Spirit, not up to them. And when they reject it, what, what did they do? Next, on, on, to the next, on to the next person, on to the next town, filled with joy. Filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm walking in obedience. I'm just telling people the good news. That, that's what the Great Commission is. Amen? And when you sow a seed, you know, that, when you sow a seed, you don't get upset if all of a sudden it doesn't just spring. It's not like Jack and the Beanstalk where all, all of a sudden, you know, when you sow a seed in your garden, you understand, I've sowed, now hey, I've, I've just got to see what happens here, right? I've got to give time for that seed to work. So when you don't see, you know, you, you share the good news at work and People don't crowd around you begging you to lay hands on them. You know, don't get discouraged. You sow in a seed. Trust, trust the Holy Spirit and trust, trust the word of God. But that's not what we're talking about today. Back to verse one. <clears throat> Acts chapter 13, verse one. It says, now in the church that, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Father, we ask you to speak to us from your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you as our teacher to come and illuminate our hearts. Give us understanding, a spirit of revelation so we can know you more. Father, I pray you bless us. Bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, and tender hearts that are like good soil. Father, your word would bring forth fruit in our lives, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if when you were younger, if you were one of those kids that liked to torture insects and do things like get a magnifying glass and, and burn ants or, or, or any of those types of things, rip flies' wings off or daddy long legs, pluck their legs off and watch the legs continue to wiggle even though they're severed from the body. I wasn't either. I wasn't either. <clears throat> but my, my brother was. And uh, I, I observed some of the things that, that he did. And I don't know if you had an opportunity to observe other kids doing these kind of psychotic things, uh, why they would do it, I don't know. But if you've ever witnessed a bug that has had... <laughs> part of its legs, like the legs on one side removed, and then it tries to, to get away, 
all it can do is go in circles because it, you know, as, as much as it wants to, to move in the opposite direction, it's lost that ability because it can only, it can only operate. Okay. That's a terrible illustration. Maybe you've had a, a shopping cart at the grocery store. Is this more up your alley? Okay. All right. We got some grocery shoppers, not bug torturers. That's good. If you get a, a grocery cart and one of the, the wheels is like seized up, or you've got that one wheel that's just going like berserk, just it's like it doesn't even make sense. It's just flapping all over the place, and the, the cart you keep like banging into shelves because because it's it's not in in balance. Or maybe in your vehicle, you know, you've got to have your wheels, your your tires balanced and aligned, and you certainly couldn't have tires on one side of your vehicle that were way larger than the tires on the other side of your vehicle. That, that would cause problems. And you might want to go straight down the road, but you're going to have to fight it. It's going to want to continue to veer off one direction or the other. And I, I want to take a couple of minutes and talk about the importance of having balance in our lives, that we need to have the secret part of our life, the, the private assignment that each of us have needs to be developed in proportion to the public assignment that we have. And whenever we develop one or pay attention to one without the other, it's like that bug with only legs on one side of its body, or for you people, a shopping cart, since that's what you like to do, a shopping cart with wheels that, that on one side aren't functioning properly. So that's, that's, we're going to work our way through these verses, but that's, that's where, where we're headed. So verse 1, it says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. There were certain prophets and teachers. It mentions two, two offices or, or two leadership positions in the church, that God has arranged the body of Christ to have certain, certain people in position of leadership. I'll read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, where you can see all of them laid out. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. He identifies five different, again, they're, they're leadership positions in the body of Christ, but they are what we call offices, positions, <laughs> positions in the body of Christ of leadership to help build up the body, the body of Christ. That in the body of Christ, there is structure. There, there is structure. And a lot of times in a, in a church service or when you've got spiritual people together, they will say things like, you know, we, we don't really like structure. We want things to happen naturally. They'll use that kind of, we just want things to flow, just kind of naturally happen. But when you look at nature, God created nature with, with structure. There, there's order, there's systems, there's a solar system, there's weather systems, there's all kinds of order and structure in, in nature. So when we say let's let things happen naturally, we can't get away from structure and order. And anytime Time you want something built, if you want something to grow bigger, structure becomes more and more important. So he says these offices are for what? They are for the building up, the building up of the church, for the edifying of, of the church. And so people can bristle against, bristle against authority in the church, bristle against uh, people being in certain positions of authority, 
or, and there certainly has been abuses, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's no longer valid, that God has arranged things for there to be structure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the body of Christ being like a physical, a physical body, right? That's the analogy. That's the picture that we're given. You know, in your body, things happen naturally, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen systematically. That if there wasn't structure in your body, you'd just be like a, a you know, like a half beanbag, half person sitting in your, in your chair like an amoeba or something. You, there's got to be structure. You've got a skeleton. You've got a nervous system, a digestive system. That it's, it's very natural, but it's also very systematic. So in the body of Christ, God has set things for there to be order and structure. And again, there, there's been abuses, but we, we can either reject that and bristle against it or accept that that's the way that God has set things up in the body of Christ. And some people say, I, you know what? I don't like organized religion. Andy Stanley, I've heard him say, you might not like organized religion, but it's much better than disorganized religion, where it's just kind of chaos and anything goes, and we just kind of, you know, for the sake of the, the flow or things happen naturally, it's just complete chaos, chaos and, and disorder. God has put certain offices, there is structure in the body of Christ. Now, those offices are not for people to, to rule over others and to be authoritarian. Jesus said, when you're in a position of leadership in his kingdom, we're not supposed to lord it over the people that we are leading. That it's a position that those are the people that we serve. It's a position of servitude. That it's for the blessing of other people. That's how it works in the kingdom. And he mentions two of those offices, that there were prophets and there were teachers. That all these men, there's five men mentioned in those verses that we read, that they're, we don't know who's who, but they're either a prophet or they're a teacher in this little gathering and time of prayer that they're having. Now, prophets in the New Testament are different than the office of a prophet in the Old Testament. That in the New Testament, prophets are, are used to predict things that are, are going to happen, or they're often used to confirm things that the Holy Spirit has already spoken. In the Old Testament, Prophets, if you wanted to hear from God, if you wanted a word from the Lord, a lot of times that your, your only option was to go and find a prophet and, and ask him. Or if you needed direction, you, you consulted with, the, with a prophet. In the New Testament, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 14, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you're not isolated from the Spirit of God and can only consult through another person. God, God wants all of his children to know the leading of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter one, it says God in, in previous times has spoken, spoken out through the prophets. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. There was a shift that God has spoken through prophets and primarily through prophets, and he still does speak, but now he speaks primarily through his son, through the word of God. So you, you don't have to go to a person. Obviously, we can have people minister to us in different ways, but primarily the way God wants to lead you is through his word. And the second way is through the leading of his Holy Spirit. Now, again, prophets, prophets in the New Testament can be used to predict things. Tell, tell the church this is going to happen and allow the church time, time to prepare. If you've been reading through the book of Acts with us, we haven't talked about it on a Sunday morning, but we've covered scripture that talks about a time where there was a prophet that said, hey, a famine is coming. There's going to be a famine. Didn't give instruction on what to do. It said, okay, so here's what we need to do. You need to do this. He just, he just predicted, here's what's going to happen and allowed the people of God to determine how are we going to handle this challenge. Later on in Acts chapter 21, a prophet, a prophet named Agabus predicts that when Paul gets to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to 
to him. Didn't say, go, don't go. He just said, hey, this is what's going, this is what's going. He was predicting. Now they predict and they often confirm. So even when he said, hey, here in Acts 21, here's what's going to happen when you get to Jerusalem, that was a prediction, but it was also a confirmation of what Paul already knew was going to happen. In this story in Acts chapter 13, it's probably, we're not told, this is the Holy Spirit said, it's probably through one of the prophets that the Holy Spirit begins to speak that this is a confirmation. It doesn't even say, it says separate Paul for the work that I've called. It doesn't say what the call is. It's just a confirmation that he, of the call that he already had. Back in Acts chapter nine, when God spoke through Ananias, God told Ananias that Saul, who became Paul, was a chosen vessel to bear his name to Gentiles and to kings. So, so anyone can prophesy, but that's different than being in the office of, of a prophet. Again, in Acts chapter 21, it says that the evangelist Philip had four daughters. Just something about men of God. I don't know. Just something about great men of God that have four daughters. I don't know. You can read into that whatever you want. But it says that he had four daughters that, that prophesied. And then, and then Agabus, the prophet, came to be with them. So it differentiated between people who prophesy and someone who is in the office of a, a prophet. So anyone can prophesy. That doesn't mean that they are, they are in that office of being a prophet. Just like there's lots of people who teach. Anyone can teach, but just because you teach doesn't mean that you are in the office of being a teacher. And that's the other office that's mentioned. That in that church, there were prophets and there, there were teachers. A teacher is someone who has the divine ability to impart knowledge to impart understanding, that they have a special anointing to bring illumination to the word of God, enlightenment, that they can share from the word of God and you can see things from the word of God that you never, you never saw before. It's a special anointing. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is the teacher and just like the Holy Spirit is the one that operates in a prophet, but he, he anoints and operates through people in this way. In the book of James, it says that not many should desire to be teachers because they're, they're going to be judged with a stricter a stricter judgment. So th those are the two offices that are mentioned. And again, anyone can teach, anyone can prophesy. Different from being in the office of being a teacher or being a prophet. Verse two, as they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Separate, separate to me. You know, there are times where God will speak to us and desire for there to be a separation. That when he calls us to one thing, you've got to leave the other thing behind. Now, one call of separation all of us have experienced, if you know Jesus, is to separate yourself from sin, right? That's part of coming to know Jesus, that you repent of your sin and say, look, I accept Jesus as my savior. I'm gonna turn from that and begin to follow him. That, that is a separation that we're called to. But many of you know that's not the only separation that we're called to. That there are different seasons we go through that we separate from one thing. You've got to leave one level to be able to engage in the next. Marriage is a good example of this. That when someone gets married, the Bible says they're supposed to leave their father and mother and cleave to their spouse. That is a, a separation that is supposed to occur. And when people fail to make that separation, they fail to disengage from their mom and dad and the way the relationship used to be. Oftentimes, it makes success difficult, if not impossible, in the next relationship that they're to engage in. That if they really wanna succeed in the next part, they've got to disengage 
from, from the last part. So it's a good picture of separation and the way, the way that it works. Now, is there anything wrong with moms and dads? No, no, we honor fathers and mothers. Thank God for moms and dads. Lots of us are moms, moms and dads. They're, they're wonderful. So it's not just evil things that we're called to be separated from. That in this passage of scripture, what, is Saul, what are Saul and Barnabas doing? They're spending time with other men of God, ministering to the Lord with fasting and prayer and worship. It's not like, it's not like God caught them at a frat party where they're doing keg stands and doing God knows, God knows what. They're, they're spending time with other men of God. And even in that environment, he says, no, separate. Separate unto me. You've got to leave this and able to, step, to be able to step into the next thing that, that I have for you. There was a time of separation, not just from bad things. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's talking about the race that we're running as men and women of God. And it says to throw off the sin and the weight and the weight that slows us down or so easily entangles us. So sin, of course, we've got to get sin out of our lives, but sin isn't the only thing that will keep you from succeeding in the, in the call of God on your life and the assignment. There, there's lots of things that you've got to get rid of in order just to continue to narrow your focus to be the man or woman of God that, he, that he's called you to be. Don't use your ability to justify how good things are in your life and how it isn't sin. Don't use your ability to justify it to keep yourself from obeying God's call on your life. Because Saul slash Paul could, could have justified, separate, separate from these guys. These, these guys are like my spiritual brothers. These, these are my accountability partners. These are my, my prayer buddies. Separate from them. I've got a good thing. I'm plugged into a great church. I'm serving you. I'm no longer killing Christians. That's, that's a good thing. I made a lot of progress here. You know, I'm growing in the Lord. Why would, I, why would I separate? He could have justified the environment that he found himself in, but if he would have justified, it would have kept him from fulfilling such a special call on his life. And you'd be foolish to think there isn't a special call on your life as well, that there will be seasons of pruning, seasons of separation, not, not because things are bad, but because God has something better. God has something sweet. God has something more fruitful. So he separate unto me, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. That happened in a specific environment. It happened, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord. While they were ministering to the Lord. Isn't it amazing that you and I have the ability to minister, not just to one another, not just to people. You have the ability to minister to God himself. Now, sometimes when we think of ministering, we think in terms of somebody is lacking something, and so God uses someone to fill in what, what is lacking. And that's one form of ministry. There, there was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, someone from our church, they were, they were spending time in prayer, and, and God gave them a word for me. So they text me a, a verse from the Bible and what they felt like God was speaking to me. And I, I read that text, read that word. And when you receive a word, here's how, here's how you analyze or judge when you, someone speaks a word. First, I want to see if it lined up with the word of God. Is it scriptural? Is this even biblical? And it was. And it, it, was, it was something that was good. But the second thing you want to do after it's biblical, does it bear witness with your spirit? Does it resonate? Is this like, man, I can feel the spirit of God bearing witness. And if it isn't like this text, it, it was good. It's a nice thing to say, encouraging. But I can't say that it was like, man, that I needed that. You, you can set that in 
like the pending file, if you will. If it's just like, I'm not sure what to do, it's, it's good, but it doesn't, just, just put it on the back burner. Just let it, let it simmer. Just make a note of it. So that's what I did. That was a couple of weeks ago. And then some things happened in my life, different situations unfolded. And in the middle of those situations, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that word that I'd received a couple of weeks ago. And I went back and strength that I needed, encouragement that I needed, that, that word ministered to me. It ministered to me. It strengthened me. It encouraged me. So that, that's one form of ministry that can take place. Someone is lacking strength, lacking encouragement, lacking something, and God uses someone else to make up what was lacking. But of course, that's not the way that we can minister to the Lord because he's not lacking anything. So these men were ministering to the Lord. Well, there's other ways that we can minister. This past week, one of my daughters, my, my youngest daughter, drew a picture of me. She drew a picture of me, and when I saw it, man, it, it, it blessed me. I could get emotional even talking. For whatever reason, that, that picture, because she took time of all the things she could have drawn, I was on her mind. She was thinking about me. She, she had to think of specific characteristics, things that I do. She, I, I was on her mind, and, it, and it, it blessed me. It was sweet to me. Now, so obviously in this scenario, I'm the father, she's the child. And it's, it's not like I was lacking. It's not like uh, I was hurting, you know, uh, pacing around in my office, stressed because I need, a, I need, I really need a poorly drawn picture of myself. What, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do without a, a picture of me that's been kind of scribbled. And, you know, it wasn't like I was lacking it and it made up lack, but she, she gave it to me and it blessed me. It ministered to me. It was, it was sweet to me. I was on her mind, man, it, it was a blessing to me. And that's the way that we can minister to the Lord. Not that he's, he's missing something and we have what he needs, but we, we can, like a child to their father, God, you're on my mind. God, I desire you. I appreciate your characteristics. I appreciate your attributes. I want to push other things aside just so I can get closer to you. Father, I love, we can minister to the Lord in that capacity. And that's what these men were doing by devoting themselves to a time of prayer. Let's just spend some time praying. It ministered to the Lord. They fasted. It was ministry to the Lord, like Anna in Luke chapter two, when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple, they saw the prophetess. She was a prophet, a prophetess, Anna. It said that she ministered to the Lord day and night with prayer and fasting. It was ministry to the Lord. Now that was the environment that God spoke to Barnabas and Saul and, and launched their ministry. What if those men hadn't taken time to minister to the Lord? What if they hadn't developed that, that part of their lives? What if they hadn't carved out time? If they were just too busy. They've got so much going on. I and mean, this is their busy season at work and the kids are in soccer. We, we just have so much going on. Our, our evenings are hectic. We don't have any weekends. We're just so busy. What if they hadn't carved out time to say, you know what? Let, let's just spend some time in prayer together. Let's minister to the Lord. If they wouldn't have done that, then they, they wouldn't have created an environment where God could speak direction the way he did. They, they knew what to do. They knew when to do it. They, they were able to take advantage of certain opportunities. Hundreds, if not thousands of people came to know the Lord directly as a result of that. What if they hadn't taken time to minister to the Lord in that? They, they would have missed things. We, we could say, oh, well, if God didn't say that, then he probably would have, you know, another time. That's making an assumption. We're having to make a lot of assumptions to say, I'm sure he would have worked it out. <clears throat> if they hadn't devoted themselves to minister to the Lord, get together with other believers, spend time in fasting, spend time in prayer, just spending time worshiping the Lord. If they hadn't created that environment that was ministry to the Lord, it's possible, 
probable they would have missed out on all the things that unfold from that event. What if you and I don't take time to do that? What if you and I don't carve out time and make it a priority to be together with other believers, to have a secret part of our life where we're just fellowshipping with the Lord, taking time to fast and pray? We, we could miss out on the things that they enjoyed as a result of it. God's speaking clear direction. God, God's speaking encouragement, helping us know what to do and when to do it getting clarity on, on how am I supposed to use my life? God, I, I felt like you wanted me to do this. I'm not sure when I should take that step. That, that was the situation with Saul. He already had that calling, probably wondering, when, when is this thing gonna unfold in my life? When is the next step? Now. He, he knew when to do it, how to do it. They, they prayed for him and they sent him on his way. We can miss out on that. Opportunities can be lost because we're not devoting ourselves to those kind of environments to minister to the Lord. But when, when's the last time you took time to fast? You know, every January, we take time as a church to fast and pray. So if you're new to our church, just a heads up. In January, you're going to be challenged to stop eating for a few weeks, okay? And just go ahead and start getting yourself prepared. Like a lot of new people here. <laughs> so we do that corporately as a church, which is good and appropriate. But it's not supposed to be just a one-time-a-year thing. It needs to be a regular, discipline, a regular discipline in our lives. It's one of the spiritual disciplines to take time to fast, to say, I'm not going to eat. When was the last time you gave the Lord your lunch hour? They gave him your, your breakfast time and said, God, I'm just going to seek you. I'm just going to sit in my car, sit in my office, and instead of going out and grabbing a bite to eat, I just, I just want to fellowship with you, ministering to the Lord with, with fasting. You know, we need to take advantage of times as a church family when we pray together. Wednesday nights, when we call a time of prayer. This Wednesday night is everyone night. On those everyone nights, we emphasize time in worship and time praying together as a church family. Those are unique environments where we minister to the Lord. And anytime we gather like that, even like this morning, it's an environment where God can speak things to people. There needs to be an expectation and anticipation that this isn't just religious rigmarole. We come in, it's a Sunday morning, we do the thing, then we move on with our day. They, they went into that prayer meeting maybe having no idea that people's lives would be forever changed, that the course of, of, of what was gonna happen, the rest of their time on earth was going to be changed by that time just getting together in that environment where we minister to the Lord and God begins to speak to hearts. God begins to open people's eyes, launches them out to do the things that they've been made to do. That, that can happen this morning. When God is in a place, anything can happen. When two or more are gathered in his name, the Bible says, there I am in their midst. We're here. We're here. Anything can happen in this environment as long as we're engaged and open and allowing him. God, we're, we're here. Our attention is on you. We're here in one, we're in one accord. God, God, speak to us. What do you want to do? This is the kind of environment where those kinds of things can happen. Maybe you're here this morning and you need direction. God, I, I feel like Saul. I'm, I'm not sure when the next part of my, when does this next phase launch? What, what am I supposed to do? When am I supposed to do it? You know, you could receive that. You could receive it so clear today. Not spend the rest of your life just wandering, spinning your wheels. You could receive that today easily. Well, we'll take time in just a few minutes. Just create an environment where we're ministering to the Lord. If you engage, it might be that. It might be something else that you, you need minister to. Just begin to minister to the Lord. We'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. It says in verse three, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, then sent them away. So they continue. The Holy Spirit says, hey, set these men apart for the work that I've called them to. They continue to pray and then they lay hands on them and send them away. You know, when we lay hands on people, 
that's not just you know, kind of some kind of ceremonial going through, going through motions. That it's something the Bible talks about, that it is a, a ministry of laying, laying your hands on someone. It's not just religious motions or anything like that. It's something the Bible talks about, that there is a spiritual exchange. So if you're not, you know, you haven't been raised in church or if you're from a different kind of church background, and when you see we, we pray for people, we put our hands on them. It's not because we don't know what to do with our hands when we pray. I don't know, should I put them in my pocket or behind my, you know, I'm just going to lay them on you. I don't know what to do. No, there's, there's something, there's something taking place in the spiritual realm. In fact, the Bible says that laying on of hands is a, a foundational principle. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse one. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He's talking about foundational elementary principles. And in those that he lists, he mentions the laying on of hands. That there is ministry that takes, takes place when, when you lay your hands on someone in prayer. I'll give you a, a couple more examples. Second Timothy chapter 1. Listen to this, verse six. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Stir up the gift of God. Stir it up. You've got a fan into flame. There's a gift of God on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit has put a gift on the in. How did that gift get inside of him? How did it get in there? Well, according to this, it says, stir up the gift of God, which is in you. How? through the laying on of my hands. That Timothy has a spiritual gift. The Spirit of God has a gift on the inside of him that he's responsible to, to stir up and to use to minister to other people. How did it get in him? That at one point in time, it wasn't there, and then it was in there. How did it get it through the laying on of my hands? There was a spiritual exchange that took place. That, that, that's why we're careful with who we allow to, to lay hands on people. You can have whoever you want lay hands on you, but it, when it's here and under our, our supervision and our responsibility that we're, we're careful for it. Careful about it. Because there's a spiritual impartation that takes place when, when you lay hands on, on somebody. Listen to Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. I'm just giving you multiple examples of this, so we're not just pulling some obscure passage. Verse 9, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Joshua was filled with a certain kind of spirit, a spirit of wisdom. Why? How? How did he get himself filled with a spirit of wisdom? Because the reason he was filled with that spirit was because someone had laid their hands on him and imparted that, that spirit moved and it was imparted. Just like we're supposed to lay our hands on the sick. It's not just a comforting pat on the back. That ministry takes place this way. So they laid their hands on Saul, laid their hands on Barnabas and released them, launched them, commissioned them out to fulfill the assignment of God on their life. That, so Saul leaves, rest of the chapter, his first missionary journey. Again, the rest of the book of Acts follows his ministry. He writes letters to the churches that, that make up a good portion of the New Testament today. An amazing ministry continues to minister through, through, his, through his letters. That was the assignment on his life. And that public assignment was directly affected by him fulfilling his private assignment. That the success he experienced, 
the achievements he had, the fruit that he was able to bear, the direction he got, the clarity that he got, it came out of developing the private part of his assignment. That there's a public ministry or a public assignment, whatever word you want to choose, but there's also a private ministry, a private assignment. And a lot of times when we're looking to develop as men and women of God, our attention goes to to just developing the outer, the the visible side of our lives. And maybe you're not called to be an apostle and spread, you know, travel the world. We all have assignments. You have an assignment on your life. And it might be to be a godly husband, a godly wife, a mom, a dad, a teacher, a business owner, whatever it is, you have an assignment. And if we just focus on developing the outward part of that, that needs developed. But this is where my analogy with the, with the wheels or the bug or whichever one you could relate to comes in. If we only develop one side, we might say, I'm called that direction, but I'll never be able to get there. I'll, my life will keep on veering off because I've also got to develop the private side of my life, that I have a ministry to people around me. So do you. We all have a ministry to people, but I can't neglect the ministry that I have to the Lord, to spend time developing the the private part, spending time alone with the Lord, spending time with other men and women of God, just seeking his face, pursuing those who call on God, uh, enjoying the fellowship of those who call on God out of a pure heart, Paul told Timothy, that I've got to develop that aspect of my life. And if I spend time developing one at the neglect of the other, my life gets out of alignment and it's hard to stay the course that that God has called me to. That victories that you see in people's lives, things that you see, achievements, things that you you tend to admire, those things typically have already been settled in the private part of their life. That you just see the public display of that, the fruit that they're bearing. And so we we pursue that, not realizing, man, the the way that they got to that level was by developing the private part of their life. In Exodus chapter 17, there's a good example of this. Exodus chapter 17. I'll start reading in verse eight. It says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So Joshua is out battling. This is the public part of the assignment. He's out battling while Moses and Aaron and Hur are up in the private private part of the assignment up on top of the hill. Now, which one of these is important? If they're going to have success, which one is important to have developed? Well, obviously the answer is, is both. That if it was just them up on the hill praying and, and blessing the Lord and, and ministering to the people spiritually, that's wonderful, that's important. But if it, then Joshua's side, they're just standing around, you know, kicking rocks, just re- relying on the, the, the private part of it, they would, they would have suffered defeat. And if you reverse it, if they just were working on the outward part, they're battling in their own strength, they're, they're trying to carry out the work of God with neglecting the private ministry, then they would have failed as well. You would 
and I need to develop both parts of our life, the, the private ministry, but also the public ministry. And whenever one is neglected, it causes us to fail in both of them. That for you to achieve the level that God wants you to achieve, for you to do the things that he's called you to do, you can't neglect the private part of, of your ministry. It's like inviting people over to your home for dinner. They're sitting around the dining room table and they're ready for you to bring out this meal that you promised them, but there's been nothing happening back in the kitchen, back in the hidden place. They're gonna have people disappointed that you have nothing to minister to them. You have nothing to serve up because you haven't been preparing it in the privacy of the kitchen. But there's also another side of this. It would also be a waste to prepare a delicious meal and then have no one to serve it to. You need both sides of it. So people, don't limit yourself by what you say that you're called to, that you are, you are, hey, I'm a prayer warrior. That's what God has called me to. Well, there's no reason that a prayer warrior can't also have a ministry winning, winning people to the Lord or speaking of words of encouragement to the people. Hey, you know what? I don't, I'm, I'm a giver. That's just kind of a private ministry. Well, that's wonderful, but there's no reason that, that someone who has a ministry of generosity can't also get their hands dirty doing something, you know, ministering to people in other aspects as well. That it, it, it takes both. Typically, we, we focus on the outward and neglect the the private, but the opposite can be true as well. There's no reason a prayer warrior can't be out telling people about Jesus. And those who feel a burden to win souls are going to be frustrated if they don't spend time praying for the very souls that they're wanting to see brought, brought into the kingdom. It, it takes, it takes both, both parts of it. The victory, the achievements, and again, whether it's battling the enemy directly in what we would typically think of as some kind of spiritual warfare, or just being able to lead your family successfully, being able to minister to the people around you, a godly husband, godly mother, whatever it is, all of those different assignments that we've got to develop the private ministry to the Lord in order to be able to be successful in the public ministry. So I want to do a couple of things this morning. One, I want to take just a minute just to evaluate yourself. It's the time in God's presence. How are you doing developing both sides? What, what, what area is lacking? What Are you pulling to the left or to the right? Are you overemphasizing the public ministry, underemphasizing the private ministry, public assignment, private assignment, however it makes sense for you to think about it. Where do you need to make adjustments? What is your time ministering to the Lord? When's the last time that you fasted. Make, make some determinations this morning. And we're just gonna take some time and worship here in a moment. That's one thing I want, want to be taking place in your heart as we do that. When, when will you spend time praying tomorrow? Go, go ahead and determine that now and then follow through on it. When's the next day that you're gonna say, you know what, I'm not eating today. De uh, decide when that's going to be. Pick a day this month. Pick a day this week. Say, you know what, from now on, the first two days, the first three days of the month. For, from now on, every Thursday, every other Thursday, I'm declaring that a time of fasting and prayer. I, I won't dictate what, that, what that's going to be, but you need to make up your mind. When will you fast and pray? When will you minister to the Lord? When will you take time to get together with other believers to minister to the Lord and pray? One opportunity is this Wednesday night. One opportunity is this morning to spend time ministering to the Lord. So that's something else we're going to do this morning. Just begin to lift our voices, to worship the Lord, to minister to the Lord and create an environment. Where I believe God's going to speak to people. 
people that will leave here with direction. People will leave here with understanding. People will leave here built up and strengthened as we minister to the Lord. It's in that environment if we engage. Pastor Jonathan said it earlier. You can have two people in the same service, one leave unaffected and the other leave their life changed forever because of the level that they chose to engage in. If you're just gonna kind of, you know, wait for this thing to be over, that's, that's fine, but you're missing out on things that God wants to speak to you, things that you could be revealed to you. Your life could be changed. If Saul and Barnabas had just been over in the corner scrolling on their phone during this prayer meeting, the story probably would have gone differently. But I'm, I'm sure they were all in. Father, I love you. Father, I give you all that I am. Praying in the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, worshiping the Lord. They, they, meant, they were engaged. They were engaged. We say it every week. Those who are planted in the house of God that they will flourish, that there, there's an outward part of flourishing, just like the, that illustration of a plant, bearing fruit, having blossoms, being green, being, being, being a, a beautiful, thriving plant. That's dependent on what's happening in the private sector underground. And the same thing is true in our lives. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.